the way that my mind basically was trying to protect me from the bigger, you know, oh my gosh, this was an assault. Like I was just assaulted, uh, was to just push it away from me and create this story, this narrative that I was dumped because I cheated on my boyfriend. Hey guys, I'm Ashley Don Rivard and you are now into the Dawn, a provocative podcast that looks at all things taboo, such as suicide, grief, sex, addictions, and more. Each week I talk with experts who successfully investigate their areas of interest. And if you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe. One in three women, 47% of transgender people, 47% of lesbian women, 61% of bisexual women, 40% of gay men, 47% of bisexual men, and one in six men have experienced some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. Melissa Barker is the founder and CEO of The Phoenix Project a social impact startup in the Bay Area focused on empowering survivors of sexual violence while connecting survivors to healing resources and community. Melissa is a survivor herself and is building Phoenix to make trauma-informed healing and care more accessible to survivors everywhere. I want to go back to, I know when you were 17, you said you had your trauma. And can you dive into that more of the repercussions of emotionally and psychologically and even physically what happened to you yeah and um you know yeah the repercussions yeah I was I was 17 at the time and I was um drugged and assaulted and it was it was pretty traumatic I um the use of the drug, like did not, I didn't really know where I was. I I don't even know how I actually got back to where I was trying to get back to. Like, it's all very blurry. And, um, there's a lot of missed pieces of the story that to this day, I'm like, what, 38 now. So, you know, to this day, I still, still don't have. Um, but in the moment I knew that I needed to talk to someone I trusted. And so I called my then boyfriend. I mean, this was me at like 17, called my then boyfriend and, you know, was still under the influence of these drugs and wasn't really probably making sense. Didn't like know how to say, talk about what was happening. I just knew something bad had happened and I wanted support. Mm -hmm. And when I told him, however, I told him again, like, I don't totally remember all these memories are very like jaded, sorry, or jagged. When I told him, he broke up with me on the phone immediately and it just destroyed me. Like, the assault was one thing, but my brain Mm -hmm. could not process the assault, right? Like I went into a a trauma response where my body was doing everything it could to basically push that part away. Um, and so I, I like went into just, Oh my gosh, my boyfriend just broke up with Mm. me. And I immediately internalized it's because I did something wrong. Something's wrong with me. I am bad. Yeah. I am wrong. I am dirty. I am, you know, shameful. And he broke up with me because of who I am as a person. So I, that like story in that moment, Mm -hmm. it's like, it just fused through my entire system. And I have, it has taken years to unravel that and unpack that. It's still a piece there because that's the thing with trauma. It, It creates this like print on you and it is really, really hard to, to, get it off of you. And I also did not tell 
anyone that I was assaulted, gosh, I think it was like two, almost three weeks later when I finally told someone and I told, um, I told one of my best friends cause she just was like, something's not right. Like what actually happened? And we started talking and then she actually mirrored back to me. Um, she's now an incredible therapist, which kind of makes sense, but she, um, mirrored back to me. She's like, I think you were assaulted and you need to tell your mom and dad. So you didn't even know that you were raped? I just kept thinking that I had done something wrong. I was like, I did something wrong. Something's wrong with me. I asked for this. I put myself in this situation. Yeah, I had no, like I knew on like a deeper level, something wasn't right. But like the the way that my mind basically was trying to protect me from the bigger, you know, oh my gosh, this was an assault. Like I was just assaulted, uh, was to just push it away from me and create this, story, this narrative that I was dumped because I cheated on my boyfriend. Is that what he told you? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what he told me. Oh, wow. And so I believed it. And I, again, like I, I remember working with like, eventually when this all came out, like working with a rape crisis counselor and she was explaining to me, she's like, no, this is, this is like what can happen. Like, this is what happens when the trauma happens. Like you're it's normal to blame yourself. It's a very normal thing for survivors to blame themselves because in so many ways, your whole world has just, you've lost all control and consent. And so what can you control? You can control parts of the story. You can control the way that your brain processes the information. And it's just, it's super normal for survivors to go into this deep place of self-hatred, self-shame, and really thinking, I'm the problem here. I'm the one that did this. Did you ever get thoughts of suicide from this? I did. I did. Actually, um, there were a few instances. I actually, the day after this happened, I was assaulted on Kauai. I was there with my family um, on a family vacation and I had taken a surf lesson and the surf instructor ended up drugging me, assaulting me and essentially leaving me on the side of the road. So when I say I didn't know how to get back, like I wasn't even home. I was, I was on an island. Um, and so... Uh, the next day I grabbed my surfboard and paddled out into the middle of the ocean with the intent to drown myself. I'm very dramatic at 17, but you know, like still like had had the intent. Like I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I don't want to experience what I think I'm about to experience. So, um, I, I came through it. I, I actually had this aha moment when I was in the middle of the ocean that that was not what I wanted. And then I ended up having the most dramatic way to get back into the the shore. I ended up like getting a ton of waves and I don't know, it was kind of like this bigger, like conscious moment, I guess. But, um, I didn't really, you know, I did a little bit of therapy, but I didn't do enough. I didn't get into the trauma. I mean, until I was like, gosh, I mean, it was like 10 plus years later until I really dug into the trauma side. So I was just like band-aiding it, right? Like there were just band-aids put on. It was, it was really not getting to the heart, the core of what was going on. So I tried to um, kill myself again when I was 18 uh, because I had had a traumatic experience that re-traumatized the trauma from seven, being 17. And then um, that, was, that was actually the last time. So it was 17 and 18. So I'm fortunate that like I kind of got through that part quicker on the front end of my story, but I have definitely cycled through some really dark moments. Um, people will call them the the dark night of the soul where you really don't know if you're going to make it through the next hour. Um, and so when I think of Phoenix, like in everything we're doing and building, 
I sit with those shadows of myself. Like I actually, I've worked very hard to be able to engage with those parts of myself and not get re-triggered. But I have to remember, like, what did I feel like in that moment at 17? What would I have needed? And that's the problem we're constantly trying to solve. We have ideas. (laughs) Well, why in your mind, if you could remember, was suicide the only option versus speaking out? Sure. Yeah. That's a really good question. I like going back to like that 17, 18 year old, this was like what, 90, 99, I want to say climate wise, were people really talking about assault? No. If people did talk about it, they were, there was so much stigma. I also, you know, I grew up in a quote unquote good home. This stuff didn't happen to people I knew. It it wasn't talked about. And if it did happen, it was usually framed in a way of like, well, she is a slut or she was drunk or she asked for it or she was in a bikini or she took that surf lesson. What did she think was going to happen? You know, so it was always like placed in this way where it was, it was victim shaming. And I, at 17, there was no way I had the capacity to see outside myself in that moment. You know, I mean, 17 year olds already can't, you know, there's like, you can only see so much as a teenager. That's part of the whole thing, right? Like you're, you're in this intense growth period and you're, you're, there's so much it happening in the world. Um, but also, you know, you add the trauma lens to that. And I mean, I could not admit on a deep level to myself that this had happened. And then it's like when I started to realize, okay, no, this did happen. I couldn't get past the shame. Like I just, I could, I wore that like a cloak of like Mm. armor for a long time. And in some ways, like it it was a protectant, right? Because it kept me closed off. It kept me um, from opening up those parts of myself that I just didn't have the capacity to, to be with. How did that impact your, um, intimate relationships? Oh yeah. That is, that is a loaded question. <laughs> like, there's just, I could probably talk about that just on a single podcast interview. Um, you know, hugely impacted hugely. I mean, to be 17, this was my first love, my first everything, you know, uh, and of course, you know, again, like 17, like first love and everyone has that or, or, you know, has that experience. Mm-hmm. That's a bad breakup mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, but I, I, I had this feeling that I was like, well, I was so happy with him. I was so happy and I trusted him and everything felt so magical. Like we would go surfing and we just kind of had this incredible, you know, first love experience. I feel very fortunate, but then it ended in this like deep, dramatic, heavy, you know, way that I, on some level, you know, thought, well, I don't know if I'll ever be happy. I don't know if that's in the cards for me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you fast mm-hmm. forward to me at 38 and I have been single for a chunk of time, like years now. And there are some big, big trust pieces there. Like it, it's not mm-hmm. that I don't want a partner or I don't believe in relationships. I, I think that partnership and relationships can be so fulfilling and incredible, but it takes a lot to wear, like get through those layers that I have. And it takes a lot of, of trust building for me. Like I, um, trauma survivors tend to, we're hypervigilant. We watch everything because again, like we've been in a situation Mm -hmm. where our worlds have literally crumbled. So we watch absolutely everything. And so I have had that problem in relationships where I'll like pay attention to these minute details 
that to them maybe like doesn't have any weight to it or intentionality. But to me, I'm like, well, wait, you said you were going to call it this time and you didn't. And you did that a few times. And now like, I'm feeling like I can't trust you. And I'm wondering, you know, create. I mean, when you say that example, I hear that I mean, in every woman. Yes, that's also like every woman, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if that's specific to tra- like sexual abuse because I'm like, no, I have that too. Yeah, I would. I think like if you add the trauma lens to it, there's this like this extra weight that comes with it where you create the worst case scenario, like automatically. But are you having feelings of abandonment? Like you're afraid to be abandoned? Are you afraid to be intimate you know, like to sexually get intimate with someone and you feel, you know, just, you don't even know what's going on in your body. I don't know. I'm just curious what comes up in those. That is like, for me, no, not, not at this juncture, but I have done a ton of trauma therapy. So I've done a lot of EMDR. Um, I've done like somatic work. I've done tapping. I've done these things that like actually move the trauma through the body. So I, actually am able to stay very grounded and very present and very in my body. But there were definitely times in my experience um, when I was dating, when I was younger or having like sexual encounters where I would disassociate. I would actually leave my body because that was how I protected myself. And um, that took me a long time to fully understand what was happening and, you know, took a while to, it's like a, it's like a new talent. You have to figure out like, okay, how can I keep myself in my body? Like, how can I tell myself that I'm safe? So it's a combination. I would say, you know, yes, there's a little bit of abandonment and that's definitely part of my 17 year old story, right? That's weaved in because I was abandoned at such a crucial moment. Um, and I think, you know, he did the best he could. He was also young. Like, you know, I, I don't blame at all at this point, but like there is that abandonment piece, but there's also, um, you know, that, that bigger part of like saying, okay, I'm safe right now with this person. I'm safe in my body. Mm -hmm. Like I trust this person to not go further than I'm comfortable with or to listen to me. But there there's, this is such an, it's a nuanced topic because I've, you know, I've heard and read stories of survivors that didn't vocalize no, but their body language was saying no. And the person wasn't reading that. And that's where people get you know, they're like, oh, but she didn't say no, or they didn't say no, they didn't, they didn't specifically vocalize that they wanted things to stop. But when you have had trauma, just, you know, you can freeze, you can flee, you can, Mm -hmm. you know, disassociate, Mm -hmm. there are all these different things. And so that person's experience may have been traumatic, even though they weren't saying no. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So why, I I think you already touched on this, but I know why you stayed silent. You felt a lot of shame. Do you feel that is a, a, a proper generalization for most people who experience sexual abuse on why they stay quiet? I, yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's, there's numerous pieces here. Um, I can speak to my my story and my experience, which definitely was heavily rooted in the shame piece. And a lot of that was was a cultural piece too. I grew up in a Roman Catholic family. So this was a cultural thing too. There was shame if you had sex outside of marriage. There was, you know, stigma if you were a woman and like assaulted, right? Like these were these were like some bigger, the bigger pieces at the table. Um but I, I think like when you, when you talk, when you think about a survivor's experience, all of them 
all of the experiences are unique in that that survivor is experiencing it in their way. And the constructs that shape how that survivor experiences their story or their, you know, these moments are shaped by bigger constructs, right? Like cultural history, socioeconomic, you know, race, class, all of these pieces, right? Um, And all of that comes in to the moment a survivor does or does not feel safe speaking out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So what are some ways that, um, you know, you can share for people who've gone through sexual abuse to heal their scars? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think, and I, again, like I want to name like every survivor's story is unique. And a, a big first step is to, understand that the survivor should be at the center of their own healing. So however that looks for them, that's what they need in that moment, even when outside it might not look like what is quote unquote needed. So just that part of where you're helping that survivor reclaim even the slightest bit of their own agency and self-leadership is huge. Um, I think also, you know, with Phoenix, one thing that the hypothesis we, we've been working within for a while is that the first, one of the first steps to healing is to just be seen. So like a witnessing, like you witness that person, you don't have to have them go into their trauma, you just witness them. I think that's why Me Too was so powerful. It was this global witnessing of people that have been, you know, silenced for so long. Um, but also, so you, so you, you know, witness, but then also offer a moment of connection from someone that has the capacity to be in that connection. And that's where there's this empathy piece that's built in with survivors. I've seen just incredible experiences where you just get a room of survivors together and we don't go into the story. We don't like, unless, unless we're called to, unless that's something that, that we want to be part of, we rarely lead with the like, hi, I'm a survivor and this is my story. It's usually like, hi, I'm a survivor cool, let's get to work. You know, like, like there's just that built in automatic piece of empathy where we witness each other. We see each other, we hold space in a way that is very unique because we understand without even saying a word, each other's wounds. And, and we just, we just see each other and we see each other in that moment. You know, um, there's a lot of conversation about why, why people stay with their abuser and, and, you know, what's wrong with them and this and that. And to that, like, it's so nuanced and there's so much to dive into there. But when you have survivors and kind of like a supportive circle, that part doesn't always come in. Right. Because again, we, there's this like understanding that your experience is your own and, and we're here in it with you. We're not here to judge or frankly cause more trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's really like one of the first steps is just finding the support Mm -hmm. to feel safe Yeah. And even, it can even be, yeah, it can even be, um, you're not even, you could not even be at a place where you're not even ready to talk about it, let alone think about it. So sometimes it's just knowing this space exists. And that, that is my hope for Phoenix that we can be like, again, I go back to my 17 year old and if she knew on some level that this place existed, probably wouldn't have like signed in day one to Phoenix, but like, when I told people what happened, you know, two to three weeks later, and then started this process of like going through normative rape counseling, 
Um, I would have loved to have known that Phoenix just existed just so I could have even have just been in the room and, and that's a digital room, right? So like we're, we're, we think there's also safety and just, or, you know, healing and just knowing that these types of resources are out there and there's a community there for you when you're ready. Like, and I've seen this happen where I've done, I mean, right now we're not doing anything in person, but I've done, you know, healing circles where I've had survivors in the room that are openly named that they're survivors and like, hi, I'm a survivor. I'm here to like share. And then there's people in the room that Mm -hmm. don't want to share that part of themselves yet. And every time there's someone that comes up to me after and says, I wasn't ready to name that I was a survivor, but I needed to just be in the room and know that you all are here. And there was power in that. They like, they said it helped them. They said, I think I'm, I'm getting closer to like moving into my own healing and whatever that looks like. Cause every journey is, is unique. Yeah. I love that. I think that that's, that's really powerful because there is so many steps we all go through in our evolution. Yeah, so. exactly. And it's, 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 so, it's just so unique. I think that's like, if I were to just have one, you know, message, it's like, it's like the healing process is unique to everybody, but if you engage on it, in even the smallest way, that's beautiful. So basically you have started this Phoenix Rising project, movement, resource place for people to come who have gone through sexual abuse, trauma. What caused you to do this? In 2016, I kind of hit my own wall um, where I could just no longer outrun my uh, trauma. I had at the time been working at UC Berkeley and um, had gone to work one day, gotten an email from the chancellor that we all did. It was just, you know, like a standard, uh, you know, this is, this is what's going on on campus type of email, opened it without thinking anything of it. And it was a picture of the man that had assaulted me when I was a student. The university was looking for him because he had assaulted one of his students. And it just brought up all of my trauma. And I just kind of hit my wall. Like I just, I couldn't hold it in anymore. And I remember having this very vivid moment with my therapist where I said, I think I really need to like dig into my own trauma healing and I need to do my work here. So that kind of like kicked off my healing experience But a year plus into it, this is now like spring 2017, I got really frustrated because I was like, this is ridiculous. There's no access to this type of healing. It doesn't exist anywhere. It's not easily found. It's very hard to navigate. In a lot of ways, I felt like my world and my life had to burn down and I had to get to push this point of extreme to even know what trauma therapy looked like or that it even existed. And I kept like scouring the internet, looking for digital tools and digital resources and some sort of actual solution that I could access from the comfort of my home and the safety of my home. And I really could find very little for what I was looking for. So um, come January, 2018, I decided to start my own thing called the Phoenix Project. We started with the intention to first just empower survivors, help them be heard, help them be seen and witnessed uh, so they didn't feel alone and they knew there were others of us out there. And then as that kind of progressed and we rolled into some big like watershed moments in our own history, um, I really saw the impact of not having access to trauma healing when Dr. Ford testified uh, during the Kavanaugh hearings. and. I believe like 
at the time, there was an increase of calls up to like 700% the day after Ford spoke. And it just put this like shot through my body where I felt like this is what I've been looking for and it doesn't exist. And this is validation that it doesn't exist. And that's when I kind of spoke into reality that I wanted us to uh, bring in the technology piece and actually create an app for this need. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. And of course, where can people, you know, connect with you? Yes, absolutely. So um, we are also, you know, COVID-19, we're in it with like everybody else. So our our um, app was is delayed at this moment, but that's that's okay. We're making do. We have our website, iamphoenixproject.com, and we have up there um, a page that says our response to COVID-19. In it, we have been crowdsourcing digital healing resources so people can a- access that guide. It's completely free. The majority of the tools are things you can use now and for free. We also are building a community we um, are actually playing around with some different ideas. So that'll be launching in the next couple of weeks, but there's a sign up there. If people are interested and want to join this community when we do roll it out. And we're offering right now completely free digital events. And all of them are centered on making healing more accessible. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Instagram. Um, our Instagram is I am underscore Phoenix underscore rising, all linked through our website also. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I I think your information is very valuable and a lot of people can relate to it. And like you said, whether they're ready to talk about it or not, there um, are resources out there to support them in their journey, even if they want to stay incognito. Exactly. Exactly. It's, It's like a choose your own adventure when you dive into your healing. And we're here. We're here to meet people where they are on their journey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing. I think this is fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Please let me know what you think. Leave a comment, share, and we'll be back next week with a new episode.